Good. Have you guys enjoyed those spoken word videos? Have they been powerful or what? Man. You guys, I just consider it such, such a treat, such a joy that we got to experience this week together. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to amen, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. To, to think about how we gathered in this space together from so many different churches, so many different cities, different communities, different walks in our relationship or even understanding of Jesus. That some of us came to camp this week really wanting to go deeper with the Lord. Some of us came to camp not even certain who Jesus was. You guys, it was going into my freshman year of high school that I went to camp. And I got to be honest with you, I went to camp for a girl. That's why I went to camp. Yeah. I went to camp for a girl And in August of 2001, I met God. And my whole life was changed. My whole life was changed. I deeply believe. I deeply believe in what happens at camp. Something we say at our church is camp changes lives. Because 21 years ago, my life was changed at camp. We began our time together talking about the truth of God, his existence. Then we talked about the truth of scripture. Then we looked at the truth of Jesus. Then we had to sit in the uncomfortable truth of our sin. And then last night, last night, for some of us the very first time, For others, we got to relive it again, the truth of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God didn't abandon us, that when we were running away from him, he didn't run away from us, he ran towards us. And there were so many of you who for the first time or the second time or the hundredth time decided to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And that never gets old. It's like the coolest thing in the world to watch your friends make these decisions. But I know all of you are beginning to feel, as I'm beginning to feel, that that we're about to go down the mountain from Hume SoCal. We're about to go back into our homes, our environments that we left a week ago. And maybe some of you are really trying to make sense of how do you take what you've experienced here this week and continue it. I want to specifically go somewhere tonight that um, it might be kind of a unique or, or a, an interesting or weird way to end camp. But I want to talk to those of you who you're not sure yet, that you've been going through all of camp and yet you still have questions. You've experienced some trauma or some abuse. You've experienced some hurt in your life. You have some big intellectual questions or there's some emotional reasons why you haven't decided to trust Jesus yet. I want to encourage you and I want to offer you something. And and I also think that this message is going to be helpful for the rest of us because at some point in your life, even if right now 
all you could imagine is just loving Jesus forever and never doubting or never questioning, there will come a time in your faith where you will wrestle, where you will ask questions, where you'll scroll through something on Instagram or a friend will send you a meme that will make you go, hmm, is that true? Could I really believe and put my faith in Jesus? Was what I experienced at camp authentic and real? And so what I want to do tonight is as we look at the gospel of John, the very end, the, the, the last few sections of John, I want to draw our attention to a story. And my hope is that for all of us, whether you still have questions right now, or whether someday you ask some questions that rattle your faith, that you will think back to this message, that you will think back to this text, that you will think back to this story, and it will help you to continue to go forward. Because I love the way the video reminded us that every single one of us have been given the Great Commission. Jesus said to all of his disciples, and it extends to us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then Jesus says, and surely I am with you always. And so the Great Commission is clear. God wants you to go into your schools, into your families, into your friendships, into your communities, into wherever he has you, into your soccer teams or your drama clubs. And he wants you to share with people what Jesus has done in your life this week. And that's what Christians are called to do for the rest of their lives. We never graduate from that. We may retire from a job. You never retire from the Great Commission. You never retire from the ultimate call that God has on your life to share the good news of Jesus. But what do you do when you get back down the mountain and you still have unanswered questions? What do you do when you get down the mountain and, and somebody asks you a question that, that gets you thinking and you're not sure? I want to talk about that tonight. Like I told you, I became a Christian in August of 2001, in September of 2001, the World Trade Center towers were hit by an airplane, by two airplanes. There was a terrorist attack on American soil. And I remember waking up that morning and watching it as a freshman in high school. I had been a Christian for a month. And I remember thinking, Oh my goodness, this is how the world ends. Like, it's happening. And friends, I remember there was so much fear and uncertainty at that time. I remember the news beginning to talk about a potential draft for a potential war. I remember thinking to myself, I don't think I'm cut out for war. I, I don't think I could handle this. When, when I was a freshman in high school, I was five foot one and I weighed 100 pounds. I was five foot one, 100 pounds. I, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not cut out for that. Like, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't up for that. I remember around that same time, we got the internet in our house for the very first time. And, and what that meant is my dad brought home this giant computer and we plugged it into to the, the 
outlet in our, in our uh, wall, like the, the phone line in our wall, and, and, and you would log on to AOL.com, and you would type in your username and your password, and then you would click connect, and it would connect you to the internet, and you could literally go back and do all of your chores, and you could read the whole book of Leviticus three times, and then the internet would be ready, okay? Like, that's how long it took. And I remember being fascinated by this, and so I'd, I was logging online one evening, and I found this article that said, Jesus is a myth. He never existed. And I remember, hold on, hold on, guys. I remember, I, I remember, <laughs> I love junior high. I remember as a new Christian, I had all of this fear of what was the future of our country going to be. I had all of this uncertainty and these questions. Could it be that this Jesus who seemed to change my entire life at camp, could he be a myth? Could he have never existed? Now, thankfully, as I've done so much research since, that article was totally bogus. In fact, atheists, people who don't believe in God, believe that Jesus existed. Everyone believes he existed. The question is, did he rise from the dead? But at that time, I was asking all these big questions. I remember around that time, I, I was um, subscribed to Sports Illustrated Kids Edition. I loved playing basketball, loved playing soccer, and I had been subscribed long enough that they sent me a giant life-size poster of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Anybody remember Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I just wanted to get the facts right. Homie was seven foot two, seven foot two. He played for the Bucks, and then he played for the Lakers, and so they sent me this giant life-size poster of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I remember putting it up in my room. And I would go like kind of measure myself. And I basically went up to his kneecap, right? Like I was kind of measuring myself. And I remember one, one night waking up and my blinds were open and it was a full moon. And so there was kind of the, the light from the moon shining into my room. And all of a sudden, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was seven foot two, now becomes like a 10-foot Goliath statue, like over my bed. And I remember being like, ah, like I thought somebody was hovering over me. You see, so much of that early time in my life of following Jesus was full of fear and uncertainty. I was asking questions about my faith. And I didn't know if it was okay to doubt. I didn't know if it was okay to ask questions. And students, I want to tell you tonight that your doubts are not an unclimbable wall. They are hurdles to jump over. That your doubts and your questions, they're not an unclimbable wall that should lead you to abandon your faith. They're hurdles to jump over, things to grow through. And so I hope tonight that this message could be so practical and so helpful, something that you could tuck away in your back pocket and, and refer back to. When you find yourself maybe in a similar place that I was in and that I have been in at times. Tonight we're going to look at John chapter 20. Just a few verses tonight. This amazing, incredible story. Find me if you have your Bibles. John chapter 20. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. Just 19 and 20. John chapter 20 verses 19 to 20. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Pause. Some of them up to this point have seen Jesus. 
They've seen him risen from the dead. They're terrified. They're terrified of what they've seen, but they're even more terrified of these Jewish leaders. They're more terrified of the persecution that is going to come to them. They don't know how to make sense of what is happening around them. And so they're locked in this room. They're locked in this house. They're praying. They're uncertain about their future. And if any of you ever like been watching a scary movie or, or something happens and, and you're just a little bit on edge, right? Like y'all have been there before where, where you're just a little bit on edge. Like if somebody taps you on the shoulder, like you kind of like wig out. You're just like, like super heightened, attentive of what's going on. You're kind of on edge. Have you all been there before? That's exactly where these disciples are. Every creak in the house, they think someone's breaking in. Every every noise is amplified. And look what happens. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Do you think they felt peace when Jesus just magically appeared? I love this moment, you guys. I think Jesus is so funny. It says he didn't like open the door. Like they're all freaking out. I imagine they're all over in this direction, huddled, they're praying. And then Jesus is like, what's up, guys? Right? Like just messing with them. He just shows up. After this, after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's in their presence. It's amazing. It's incredible. But one guy, one guy slept in. One guy missed the party. One guy wasn't there to see Jesus. And his name was Thomas. Here's the title for tonight. I want you to write it down in your journals. Here's the title for tonight. Five steps. Five steps for moving forward when you still have questions. I want you to write that down. The title for tonight is this. Five steps for moving forward when you still have questions. First big idea is this. Be real They're all going to have an R in it. It's just a pastor thing. Be real about your questions. Step number one is this. Be real about your questions. Jump with me down to verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, one of the core disciples, one of the guys who walked closest with Jesus, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. I mean, these disciples are so excited to tell Thomas. They say, it's okay, Thomas, you slept in. It's okay that you missed the the text invite. Like, it's all good. We saw Jesus. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, And put my finger where the nails were. And put my hand into his side. I will not believe. Do you see what happened here? Do you see what happened here? Thomas. And this may sound kind of shocking. 
Thomas is incredibly brave and courageous. Because the whole mob of people around him are so excited about Jesus rising from the dead. They're just assuming Thomas is going to believe it. But then Thomas says, I don't. And here's, here's the first step to moving forward when you still have doubts, when you still have questions, when you're not totally sure about Jesus or the Bible or what you should do next. Step one when you move forward is you've got to be real about your questions. You see, for many of us, especially if you grow up in the church, we can have a tendency to be afraid of asking questions because we're almost afraid if we voice our questions or our concerns, that will make them real. The problem is they're already real. They're already things that we're wrestling with. There, there's, there's uncertainties that, that, that we can't connect the dots that we need some help with. And unless you voice them, you can't make any progress with them. You see, students, when it comes to, uh, there's a leadership lesson, but when it comes to any conflict in your life, you have two options. You could avoid it or address it. I think Christians are called to address conflicts, not avoid them. If there's an issue in a marriage, if there's an issue in a friendship, you can avoid it and it won't get better, or you could address it. The same is true with our questions and our doubts. If you've got questions, which I know you do, if there's things that you're uncertain about, and especially maybe for some of you in the future when those questions and doubts come, when you see something on Instagram you're uncertain about, do not keep that to yourself. Share that with your youth pastor. Share that with your counselor, with your small group leader, with your Christian friends. Talk about it. Don't avoid it, but address it. You see, and something happens as we get older and older, we, we, we lose this ability to just be super honest. In fact, we sometimes want to just tell people what we think they want to hear instead of just being honest. And I think one of the most honest moments in our culture that we get to see every year is when kids write letters to Santa. When kids write letters to Santa, you see the real honest version of them. Let, let me show you a few real quick. Let me show you a few. Here's one. This is actually, uh, this is Brinley, who's right up here. This is Brinley. When she was two and a half years old, this is her letter to Santa that, that my wife Sarah kind of dictated as Brinley said it. This is what Brinley said to Santa. She said, dear Santa, thank you for giving me presents, and I love you. Bye-bye. How sweet, right? How sweet. And then she starts listing what she wants. Minnie's boutique airplane. I want a cruise ship. And then look at this. She said, I love you, you love me. And then this is my favorite part. If you've spent any time with Brinley, this is gonna make total sense to you. Brinley says this, Santa, you can sit on my lap. I won't sit on your lap, right? <laughs> Brinley's like defining the terms of the relationship. But what I love is the honesty. Look at this one, look at this next one, look at this next one. This, this next one is of Lila. This is sweet Lila. This is sweet Lila. When she was two and a half, and you'll get why she was crying in a second. She said, dear Santa, I don't know, LOL dolly, lollipops, and chapstick, that's all. And then she kind of got excited about the lollipop. I want to get a lollipop. Mommy, please, mommy, a lollipop, right? And that's like right when Sarah captured that photo. I, I love these other ones that I found. I love these other ones that I found online. Here's another one. Here's another one. Check this one out. Check this one out. <laughs> Dear Santa, listen to this, dear Santa, 
I'm Jewish, right? Like just out the gate, I'm Jewish. I don't know what relevance that has, but I'm Jewish. But I really love you. <laughs> like he's got this tension. Can you give me a present though? If you don't know what I look like, I have dark brown hair, thanks, and brown eyes. That basically limits no one from the population. But either way, love you, and I'm nine years old. Please don't give me coal. Like, how sad, right? Okay, don't show this next one yet. Hold on the next one. Hold on, hold on. You guys, when you see this next one, when you see this next one, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, this kid had been bad all December. Like this kid had been bad all December. And when his parents made him write this Christmas letter, they did not stop him from doing what you're about to see. Check this out. Dear Santa, how are you? I'm good. Here is what I want for Christmas. The entire URL. Like his parents did not communicate, hey, there's this thing called bit.ly. We can shorten the URL. We can make it easier. His parents are like, you're going to earn this one, kid. You are going to earn this one. Or this next one. This next one. You can tell. You can tell that, that the guy who wrote this next one, he's a little jaded. Like, like he's, 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 he's had some run-ins with Santa. That There's been some disappointment in his life. Check this one out. Dear Santa. Santa. If you're bringing presents with batteries, bring batteries! Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Isn't that awesome? Yes. You see, students, children, children, children can be completely honest in their letters to Santa. And yet, people who are following Jesus have the hardest time being honest with him. Do you think he can't handle your questions? Do you think he can't handle your doubts? Is there any question you could ask him that he would go, oh, wow, we didn't think about that. I got to get the angels together for a little, a little uh, subcommittee to figure out how we're going to answer this. So step one for moving forward when you still have questions and doubts is to be real about your questions. Step number two is this. Choose to remain in community. Number two is this. Choose to remain in community. Verse, verse 26, a week later. I want you to underline that in your Bible if you want to. The, just the, the two words, week later. A week later. Later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. We're just going to pause there. We're going to look at this verse from two different angles, but I want to start it like this. The text says that it was a week later, a whole week had gone by, and yet Thomas is still with the disciples. That Thomas told him, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. I've got some big questions about this. And yet seven days go by, and he's still with them. You see, what I see is one of the most dangerous and destructive things going on in our Christian culture right now is there are so many who are deconstructing their faith or, or have big doubts, legitimate questions. 
And instead of remaining in healthy, good communities that can walk with them and and come alongside them and love them and, and wrestle through some of those really important things, they choose to hit the eject button and they get out of the church. And they distance themselves. They remove themselves from community. And more often than not, I see that being an incredibly destructive decision to make. You see, at times we have to decide, you know, I'm going to trust Jesus fully even when I don't understand him fully. And a great prayer that you can pray when you have those questions and those doubts and you're choosing to remain in community is, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me to understand this. Jesus, help me to see this your way. Students, one of the biggest temptations you're going to face when you go back down the mountain is to stop going to the youth group that you're a part of. Because soccer practice is going to pick up, and basketball is going to pick up, and drama team is going to have rehearsals, and you've got tutoring, and you've got karate, and you've got underwater basket weaving. You've got all the big things that you're going to do, and, and, and you've got to trade Pokemon cards, and Dude Perfect has their videos that come out on youth group night, and all the stuff. And I'm just telling you, I'm just warning you now. You were not designed You were not designed to follow Jesus alone. It doesn't make sense. From the very beginning, God created you to live in community, and especially Christianity happens in community. So whether you're just going home and getting busy, or you're going home and you still have some questions, follow Thomas' example. Remain in the community. But then number three is this. Number three is this. We've got to make room for people to ask questions. So I talked about it from Thomas's perspective. If those of you feel like Thomas, if you can relate to Thomas in any way, I want to encourage you to remain in community. But now I want to talk to those of us that know people, that have people in our lives, friends who are doubting and asking questions. How I look at this text, verse 26, a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Not only did Thomas choose to remain in community, but the community, the disciples, chose to make room for Thomas. Even though he didn't believe just like them. Even though he still had big questions. Even though he was doubting and wrestling, they chose to make room for him. Students, This is not just the responsibility of your youth pastors and your leaders. This is your responsibility. The church, the church, meaning your youth group, your community, the church you're a part of, the church should be the safest place to ask any question. The church should be the safest place to wrestle with any doubts. And the disciples give us a model here. Because Thomas doubted the most core thing to Christianity is that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, Christianity hinges on that one singular event. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it all falls apart. Paul even says, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, your faith is futile. It's a waste of time. You're still in your sins. And Thomas doubts that. And yet the disciples say, hey, you can still be in our community, in our family. 
that we're going to love you. We're going to meet you where you're at. Number four, step number four is this. Do your research by seeking answers. Do your research by seeking answers. Verse 26 continues, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He did it again, right? Like, where's RJ? Where's the youth pastor RJ? Is he here somewhere? Where's RJ? Where's RJ? RJ, where are you at? There's RJ. You guys, all week, all week, RJ has been going up to my kids and being like, dude, you have ketchup on your shirt. And every time they're like, oh, really? And they go to look down and he goes, boom, and gets them, right? It's like, it's, it's masterful. Here's the thing. RJ uses the same trick over and over again because it works. That's what Jesus is doing. He's using the same trick over and he shows up. He says the same line and then look at what happens. This is such an incredible moment. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas did that. Thomas did his research. Thomas Thomas sought after the answers to his biggest questions. You see, Jesus can handle your doubts and he can answer your questions by showing up. And he's going to show up in your life. He's going to show up through his word to you. He's going to show up in your life through prayer. He's going to show up through your small group and through your youth group and through church. He's going to show up in a myriad of amazing, miraculous ways. Because students, your great questions deserve great answers. And let me warn you. Let let me just caution you and warn you of something that I see all the time. I see a lot of people who have big questions and they use their questions, they use their uncertainties about God to justify their sin. God's desire is that you would ask those great questions and that you would seek great answers to those questions. When I was going through all of that stuff early on in my faith, I remember continuing to go to church. And I would pray, God, would you show up? God, would you make yourself real? God, I want to see you. I want to know you. And one Sunday morning, I was sitting up in the balcony. I grew up in a, in a medium-sized Presbyterian church, an amazing church. And one Sunday, as our pastor was standing up and he was preparing to give the benediction, This woman in the congregation stood up, and she said, Pastor Mark, before you close the service, God gave me a word last night. God gave me a message last night, and I think he wants me to read it because I think somebody needs it here. And y'all, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. This kind of thing doesn't happen, okay? Like, this never happens. And so I kind of perked up, and I was like, this is going to be good. This is interesting. And Pastor Mark, he was so spirit-led. He said, yeah, 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 share. So this woman got behind a microphone and she said, I don't know who this is for, but last night God put these words on my heart and much of it is from scripture and it's written in the form of kind of God speaking directly to us. 
And as I was going through so much fear and uncertainty and feeling like God was so distant and maybe he wasn't real, maybe he didn't know me or love me or, or see all that I was going through, she stands up and she reads these words. I am with you, my beloved. I will never leave you or forsake you. My word is true. I keep my promises. You can trust me and only me. Keep your eyes focused on me for I will lead the way. My way is safe and you will be protected. Do not fear. Fear is not something that I give. I give peace, hope, and joy. I am the prince of peace. Fear is from the enemy. He wants to hold you in his grip and blind you. I have come to set the captives free. My grip is secure, but it does not bind. Come to me. Find comfort in me. I am the lover of your soul. Take refuge in the one who loves you, holds you, protects you. You are safe in my loving care. Stick close. We are in this together, never to be separated like a lost child. I don't lose my children. They are eternally safe with me. Eternally means forever and ever. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you think that I would leave you at such a time as this? Leaving you is beyond my comprehension. I say again, I do not leave my children. They are safe in my keeping, but only in mine. Don't be fooled by imposters. Stay as close as you have ever stayed. Don't you dare let go of my hand. Stay connected to the vine, your source of life and breath. You must not stray, for it is dangerous. But you need not fear. I can conquer all. I am your strength and your power. Watch and see what I can accomplish. It will boggle your mind, but that is good. Your cage needed rattling. It was perched on an unstable foundation. But be sure I will not let you fall. Wait and see what I will do. I will do great things for I am the great and powerful I am. Wait and see. Wait and see. But remember to hold fast as you wait. Always looking above. Trust me and wait. When she read that, it all of a sudden hit me. I was reminded again that that Jesus loves me, that this wasn't kind of a, a myth that I was beginning to believe, but that Jesus was real. And then step number five for moving forward when you still have doubts, rejoice by trusting Jesus and following him. Rejoice by trusting Jesus and following him. The story concludes like this. Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's you and I. You see, Thomas, he, he understood the cost of following Jesus. He recognized what this meant for his life. And what's crazy, what's crazy is that Thomas ends up becoming the very first missionary to India. That Thomas took the gospel, took the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection all the way to India, and he starts preaching the gospel, and many are saved, and eventually Thomas is martyred. He's murdered. Not because he was a nice guy. Not because he did something immoral but because he wouldn't stop and he couldn't stop telling the world that Jesus rose from the dead. I was with, um, yeah, it's awesome. 
I was with Hume Lake in Thailand. I was with Hume Lake in Thailand a number of years ago. And I met an Indian man. And he told me his faith story. And he said, my whole family has been Christian for hundreds and thousands of years. And we trace back our faith lineage, our, our faith heritage to Thomas coming to India and sharing the gospel. Now let this, let this just sink in for a minute. Let this just sink in for a minute. Thomas, at one point, doubts that Jesus rose from the dead and then eventually becomes a missionary to India. The gospel is spread. I meet somebody 2,000 years later who says, because of Thomas's faithfulness and boldness to share the gospel, my whole family has believed in Christ for 2,000 years. How does that make any sense other than God's power at work? But don't miss this crucial detail. Don't miss this crucial detail. That whole incredible story with Thomas started with him doubting. And so don't underestimate what God wants to do with your questions. Don't underestimate what God wants to do with your life. There's a young girl in our youth group who is who, who planned this urban mission trip in our community. And she was, her name's Abby, and she was sitting down with this girl, Alexis, in, in the park, and she started telling her about Jesus. And Alexis had never heard about Jesus before. And as she's telling her about Jesus, Alexis is more and more interested, and, and Abby starts showing her Bible verses, and eventually Alexis decides that she wants to surrender her life to Jesus. And they pray together in the park, and it's amazing. A few days later, Abby calls Alexis and says, Alexis, I just wanted to check in on you. How are you doing? And Alexis says, I've been reading the Bible that you gave me. I've, I've, been, I've been learning more about Jesus. And then she said, in fact, I have a couple of my friends over at my house right now. Could you tell them about Jesus like you told me about Jesus? And so Alexis, Alexis puts her on speakerphone. Alexis puts Abby on speakerphone. Abby starts telling her friends about Jesus. And every girl in that room over speakerphone gave her life to Christ. I was flying back from, I was fly, my wife Sarah and I were flying back from Mexico a couple months ago. I, had a, I was officiating a wedding out there. And as we were flying back from Mexico, I remember just sensing that God wanted me to tell the person next to me that he loved him, that Jesus loved this guy next to me. And I'll be honest with you guys, my very first response was, no, I don't want to do that. That's weird. Like, we're all wearing masks. I'm like, it's already awkward to talk with somebody. Now I'm going to try to have this conversation. No, God, I don't want to do Like, this is going to be so weird. But then I kind of, I was like, all right, God, like, he's on his phone. Like, he had been on his phone the entire flight. And I said, okay, okay God, like, if, if you will make him put down his phone, I'll know that you really want me to tell him that you love him. And I opened my eyes, and when I opened my eyes, he was still on his phone. And inside of my sinful heart, I was like, hallelujah, like, I don't have to do anything, right? Like, it wasn't for me, it was for somebody else. I look over to Sarah to help her with something, and out of the corner of my eye, I see him put his phone down for the first time in the entire flight. And so I turn back to him, 
I turn back to him and I say, hey, man, nice to meet you. My name's Eric. And he says, hi, my name's Jose. And I say, Jose, I know this sounds like a little bit weird and strange, but I just felt like Jesus was telling me that he wanted to tell you that he loves you. And then Jose started crying. And Jose is one of those guys who, who talks like, like as if he's at a concert, like at the highest volume possible all the time. You know those people? Some of those youth pastors are like that. We just talk really loud. And, and he starts talking really loud. And I'm like, oh my gosh, people are hearing. This is weird. And, and we're just kind of talking. And, and he shared with me. He said, every single time I'm going through a really hard time in my life, God always shows up. And I'm in the middle of a really hard time in my life. And you just reminded me that Jesus loves me. You see, students, I'm absolutely convinced. I'm absolutely convinced that by the time you come up to Hume next year, God wants every single one of you to have story after story of times where you were bold with your faith, where you went to your India, wherever that is, whether that's for some of you, it's your home. It's sharing Jesus with your parents or your siblings. For some of you, it's your sports team. It's your drama club. It's at school. It's with the kids in your neighborhood. I don't know who it is for you, but I believe that by next year, when all of us are gathered here at Hume again, that Jesus wants to have worked in your life in such powerful ways and used you in incredible ways. And maybe some of you are going, but I have too many doubts. I have too many questions. Well, I believe that if you and I will follow the roadmap that Thomas gives us here, that we, like Thomas, will get answers to those questions. And they may not look the way we want them to look. They may come a little later than we'd hope they come. But that we will encounter Jesus, have a deeper relationship, and be able to go into the world telling everyone how good the risen Jesus is. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these incredible students. I thank you for the awesome opportunity every one of us have had to be up here in a distraction-free environment to learn about you, to experience you, to connect with each other. And God, as we go down the mountain and as we live different lives, I pray that those questions, those doubt, those uncertainties, that, that we'd be honest about them, that we'd remain in community, that, that we'd be a part of youth groups that made space for us, that we would research, that we would seek answers to those questions, and that Jesus, we like Thomas, would go out into the world, into our worlds, into our communities, into our circles of influence, telling everybody how good and loving, and powerful, and holy, and alive you are. God, would you use us for your glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah.